0: Be watchful, be alert. So that's what Jesus tells us today. It's the first Sunday of Advent. The beginning of this season of hopeful expectation. That's how the church describes it. Uh, will Jesus come? We already know that he will. He came 2,000 years ago. So why do we reenact his coming among us every single year? Why do we have to do it over and over and over again? Uh, well, it's part of our ritual as the church that Jesus founded. And it's, and it's this very ritual by which we give God worship. Uh, we worship him through ritual. And I think it's this, this worship, that I'd like to dive into a bit today. Because I think it's one of the most effective ways to prepare our hearts uh, for Christmas, for Christ coming among us. And I also think we have developed a certain aversion uh, to worship in our culture today, in our world, at large, um, at least worship in the traditional sense of the word. So what exactly does it mean to worship? And are, and are we as Christians obliged to give God worship? I guess more specifically, are, are we required to, to worship God in the way that he has commanded us? would uh, say, in the way that the church commands us to worship God. I think that's a legitimate question to ask. So what is worship? It's the act of rendering God, uh, who is creator and lover of the universe, uh, due honor and due, due respect. That's the definition of worship, you could say. And what does it do for us? Why is it necessary? Well, it sort, of puts, it sort of reorders us to God. It puts us in right relationship, you know, creator, who is God, to us who are created, human beings. Uh, I think even if you believe what I just said, it's not necessarily inspiring. So let's—I'm going to try to ask some tougher questions that I get all the time and try to get to the root of what it means to worship. So, uh, what's with all the rules about worshiping? Why do we have all these rules? And uh, why do I need to go to mass? You know, mass is kind of the primary way in which we worship God. Why do we need to go? Why do I need to go to confession? Why do I have to pray? Why do I have to fast during certain parts of the year? Uh, Why can't I just... Why can't I just be an honest, good person? You know, why can't I just strive for that? Isn't that sufficient? And further, why can't I just spend my Sundays, you know, up in the mountains taking a hike, or you know, on the river or on the lake, you know, in my boat? Or why can't I just sit by the fire and read a good book? Isn't that like a fitting way of worshiping God? And I think those are actually good ways of worshiping God. Before I continue to the rest of my homily, I, want to, I just want to point out that I've, I've spent my, more than my fair share of time in the mountains, and I've had profound encounters with God there. I've had profound encounters with God sitting by the fire reading a good book, or at the lake with friends. And so I don't want to try to say that that's not an act of Worship, it can't, that it can't be an act of worship. Because every human act can become an act of worship. Uh, Jesus in his incarnation did very kind of mundane, worldly things. Uh, so think, think about that. God washed the dishes, God made his bed, God swept the floor. He did all the things that a human being does when he came in the flesh. He wandered up in the Judean hills to pray. We see in the Gospels that his favorite place to pray, his preferred place, was up in the hills. And so he took all of our normal daily activities and he divinized them, in a sense, so that everything we we do can become a prayer, can become worship. But above and beyond this call to kind of pray unceasingly, to make everything divine, he also commanded us, to worship in very specific ways. And so we return. Uh, why can I not fulfill my Sunday obligation with a prayerful hike in the mountains? I think I, I asked the same question when I was kind of in the course of my conversion. And so I'll try to give you uh, a little bit of an answer, a few answers here. So, first, I think it's, it's only at Mass that we receive communion the Blessed Sacrament, the Body and Blood of Christ. Uh, And I don't think we realize, even if we believe that this is the body and blood of Christ, I do not think we realize the profound impact that the Eucharist has on our soul. I don't think we will realize that until we meet God at the heavenly gates. Uh, John Henry Newman, one of my favorite preachers, says, he believed that the Eucharist, it's only in this intimate union with Christ that we have in the Eucharist, that our hearts are prepared for that union we will have at the gates of heaven. The only thing that would keep us from the overwhelming shock of the reality of God is the intimate union we already receive in communion. And so we can never take for granted the beauty of the Eucharist. Uh, And so that's the power of the Mass. Also, and I think probably the most uh, effective one for me when I was meditating on this myself, was that the mountains don't call me to be a saint the way that the Church does. Uh, I can be up in the mountains or on the river, and I can feel very spiritual about it and feel a very powerful encounter of God, but also I, d- I can be acting very selfishly and not even know it, and there's no one to call me on it the way I'd be called on it in the church. A little story, I guess. When I was, uh, I think it was after my sophomore year of undergrad, I had two weeks between when school ended and when I had to go to work. And so I decided I was actually going to come down here and fish the big hole for two weeks. Just had my little pontoon boat. Came down, fishing for about three days, and fishing was good. And I got a call from my dad, and we were just talking, and he uh, was working on our new deck. And he was working alone, and he made it very clear to me that he would appreciate some help. Without directly asking, he would appreciate some help on the deck. And... So then I, I kind of didn't take the hint explicitly, so I said, oh, yeah, I hope you get some help, and hung up, hung up the phone, fished for two more days before I finally just came to my senses and said, I do not need to be here. I need to be at home building a deck with my dad. So I went home and built the deck. And But there was no one there, was no one there to you know the river didn't care that I was... Uh, than I needed to be somewhere else, and just wasn't going to call me on that selfishness. So the church demands something of us, something more than that. Uh, I think it's good that we don't yet know or even like everyone in our parish. Uh, If you don't like everyone at St. Anne's, that's okay, because you're called to love them anyways. So the church pushes us outside of ourselves. James Joyce, uh, when he described the Catholic Church said, Here comes everybody. I think that's a good description of the church. It's not our private friend group. And we're called to love everyone the same anyways. uh, To get outside of ourselves. To have something demanded of us that's not comfortable. So finally, uh, regarding whether we could just be a good person uh, without uh, the church and the worship of God I think in a post-Christian culture that's becoming less and less clear what that actually even means. Uh, I just a little story from my final year of undergrad. I was hanging out with some younger guys and I don't, I don't remember what the, what brought this up but one of them just said, you know, I think I'm a, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a good guy, I'd say. And I was like, well, what makes you think you're a good guy? Uh, tell me why you're a good guy. And he said, oh, well... I say hi to people when I pass them in the halls. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty polite, you know. I don't go out of my way to hurt anybody. Uh, a few more, he gave a few more reasons like that, and some of his buddies even looked at him and they were like, That's not, that doesn't mean you're a good guy. That's not a good enough description of a good guy. And so we, we just began talking about that and digging into that. And by the end of the conversation, everyone agreed he wasn't a good guy. Uh, <laughs> Besides him, he's, he was still sticking by his point. But I guess what I mean by that is uh, if, if you read the Gospels, it's very clear what a good person is. It's a saint. God's calling us to be a saint. and He's very explicit about what that means. He's very explicit about selfless love and the demands of that. And it's not easy. It's not as easy as saying hi to someone in the hallways or not going out of your way to hurt people. So the church demands something very real of us. And it's in, it's in worshiping God that we are ordered toward that, that we are made aware of that calling to sainthood. Uh, it kind of recalibrates us to true north, you could say. It makes us aware of all the graces that God's pouring upon us and then the demands that come from that grace that we receive. And I think it's here in the Mass, the most fitting worship of God that we, that we perform, that we encounter Christ in the most profound way possible, this side of heaven. We will never encounter Christ in the way that we encounter him in the Mass until we reach heaven. So let us enter in and prepare our hearts for the solemnity of Christ's incarnation.